Good morning, New Day. It's so good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being with us today. I'm so happy you decided to come to church today or to tune in online to be with us as we continue our current teaching series called Christ the King, which if you're new is our study through the wonderful gospel of Matthew. Our text this week is Matthew chapter 5 verses 33 to 37, and in these verses we see the king's teaching on oaths. So today, the topic relates to keeping our word. And sadly, this is something that we as an American culture, we don't really thrive at, sadly. This is not a strength in our culture. This is more of a weakness. In the society we live in, it seems a natural process to say one thing and then do another. Our yes no longer constitutes a trustworthy statement. Here's some common examples of things that we say, but really don't mean. Sometimes someone calls us and we say, hey, I'm busy right now, but I will call you back in five minutes. And then there's no call whatsoever. Other times we would tell our spouse, I'll be home at 5.30. And we're not there anywhere near that time. Other times someone confides in us and we might say to them, don't worry, this is just between me and you. But we no sooner leave their presence than we get on the phone and say, you are not going to believe this juicy gossip that I have to tell you right now. And there's many other ways. People say, I'm going to quit. People say, I'm going to pay you back. People say, you know, all kinds of things. But for many people, their word means almost nothing. And guys, isn't it frustrating when someone tells you something and you just cannot count on their word? Conversely, isn't it wonderful when someone tells you something and you know because they said it, it's as good as done? Man, though, we've got some work to do in this area of our lives. And I think people would begin keeping their word a little more if they truly understood the uh, magnitude of the negative impact that it has on our lives when we don't keep our word. I mean, when it comes to our children... If we don't keep our word with them, then we train them not to trust us. If you don't keep your word at work, you limit advancement opportunity within the company. Because who's going to go ahead and promote someone with a track record of broken promises? And for those of you who own your own business, you're a small business owner, uh, what's going to happen if you don't keep your word with your customers? It won't be long until you don't have any customers. So there's all kinds of deleterious effects that come into our lives when we don't keep our words. But here's the deal. The biggest negative effect that failing to keep our word has is a spiritual one. I want to introduce you today to a concept that might just be like, oh my goodness, like re really? That, that's true? This might be new to you. Or maybe it's something that you've known, but you kind of forgot. Maybe something you realize is true, but you really haven't been taking it too seriously. But let me just throw out a concept to you that, that might kind of blow your mind a little bit. To not keep our word is sin. 
Let that sink in for just a moment. To not keep our word is sin. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Friends, that's not a suggestion. It's a command. We are to be people of our word. And I think what happens is this. We have relegated failing to keep our word to something that's the spiritual equivalent of jaywalking. When it comes to jaywalking, we're like, yeah, I mean, I know it's illegal, but like that's not a real rule. It's kind of like coming to a complete stop at a stop sign. I mean, this is a great suggestion, but it's nothing we actually have to follow. And there's no fear in our hearts when we jaywalk, right? Well, in the same way, a lot of people view whether or not they keep their word as the spiritual equivalent of jaywalking. It's no big deal. Like, I don't have to fear God. You know, like, like it's, not, it's not really sin. It's just like, it's good if we, you know, if it's convenient to do so. But if it's not, it's really no big deal. And, and so we just fail to keep our word, not realizing that failing to keep our word is, it's sin. It's sin. Today, what we're going to see in our teaching is that God takes oaths very seriously. In other words, when we make a vow, when we say we're going to do something, when we give our word, God takes that serious. And I hope that you see that today. And if God's word is kind of here and you're veering off the path here, I hope after today's teaching, you'll get in line with what God requires of you. Because friends, for those of us uh, who are Christians, we are apprenticing with Jesus. And Jesus did his life a certain way. And he wants those who apprentice with him, he wants those who are followers of him to get in line and model their life after his. And so may God help us to do that very thing through this teaching today. All right, let's jump right in, okay? The first thing I want you to note is this. A lot of people are confused what the Bible actually teaches about making an oath. And here's why, if you're taking notes, at a cursory glance, the Old Testament teaching on oaths by Moses appears to contradict the New Testament teaching on oaths by Jesus. Let me show you what I mean and what I want you to really tune in and pay attention to is kind of what Moses said and what Jesus said and how they, at first glance, appear to be the opposite thing. But here's what Moses said in the Old Testament. Moses instructed the Israelites, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, so it's assumed that they will, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all your vows. In other words, that you be a person of your word. And if you're not, you will be guilty of sin. However, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. So Moses assumes that the Israelites are going to be making vows and giving their word and making promises and, and making oaths, and, and he just gives regulations concerning the rules that are to govern making such an oath. But then thousands of years pass, and Jesus comes along, and at first glance, Jesus appears to completely contradict what Moses taught in the Old Testament. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
And now you see why people are confused about what the Bible actually teaches. At first glance, Jesus appears to contradict Moses. If you're taking notes, whereas Moses appears to condone the making of oaths in Deuteronomy, Jesus appears to condemn the making of oaths in Matthew. So which is it, right? We want to apprentice with Jesus. We want to align our lives with Jesus. We want to honor God in this area of our lives. But how can we if we don't clearly understand what the Word of God actually teaches? So here's what we're going to do today. Uh, We're going to look at the Old Testament teaching. Then we're going to look at the New Testament teaching. And then once we understand what the Bible actually teaches about keeping our word, we're going to go ahead and make tons of practical application so you can see what it looks like in everyday life to live a life where your yes is yes and your no is no. You guys ready to study the word of God? I love it when I see people excited about worship, but you know what the Bible says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But then it goes on to say, and also with all your mind. And when we study the word of God, it's how we worship him with our mind. So let's do that together. Here we go. We begin with the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing the Old Testament teaches about making oaths. God's word says only make oaths in God's name. Deuteronomy 6, 13, as an example, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. And then the same thing is taught in Deuteronomy 10. The same thing's taught in Isaiah 65. Uh, I'll give you a bonus one. The same thing's taught in Exodus chapter 20, right in the Ten Commandments. Remember how it says, you shall not take the the Lord's name in vain. And a lot of people think that we break that rule when, you know, we're watching a movie and they say, God, beep, and, you know, they use a swear word. And certainly that's one way in which you can take the Lord's name in vain. But the primary thing that that meant was don't go making a vow. Don't go making an oath. Don't go making a promise in God's name and then fail to keep it. That is to take the Lord's name in vain. It's to take God's name, attach it to your promise, and and then it's just not to take your promise serious. So all throughout the Old Testament, we're told, make an oath, give your word in God's name. So an ancient Israelite would say something along these lines when making an oath. They they would say something like this, I swear by God that I'll do such and such, and if I don't, then may God curse me or even kill me for not keeping my word. And we have a great example of this typical kind of vow from 1 Samuel chapter 20. In this particular passage of scripture, Jonathan is making an oath to David. And here's what he says. He says, I promise by the Lord, so this is exactly how you're supposed to vow, by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father who's trying to kill you and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I'll let you know. But if he's angry and wants to kill you, wants to have you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. So do you see the two components of a typical oath? The oath was made in God's name and the person would call down a curse upon themselves that the Lord would strike them or even kill them if they didn't fulfill their word. And friends, this is why, generally speaking, the people living in Israel, they feared to break their oath because they didn't want the curse they had called down upon themselves to come upon them. 
And we have an amazing example of this in Joshua 9. In Joshua 9, Moses' successor has discovered that he's been tricked into making a peace treaty with one of his enemies. And we read in Joshua 9.15, Joshua made a peace treaty with them, his enemies, and guaranteed their safety because he didn't realize they were his enemies. And then the leaders of the community ratified the agreement that Joshua made with them with a binding oath. Well, when Joshua realized that he had been duped, he immediately paid a visit to the people who had tricked him. But here's what we read as we continue through Joshua 9. But the Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. But the leaders replied, since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live. For, meaning because, divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. You see, the people feared breaking their word for fear that whatever curse they had called down upon themselves, they feared that God might actually take them up on whatever they called down if they failed to keep their word. And friends, this is actually precisely why God required that any oath that was made be made in his name. Because he wanted people to fear breaking their word. Because keeping our word is something that's very important to God. Now, God keeps his word, right? And if we belong to him, he expects us to do the same. So number one, the Old Testament taught only make oaths in God's name. Now, secondly, if you're taking notes, the Old Testament secondly taught this, only make oaths on special occasions. As we've already noted, Jonathan made an oath to David, but it was when his father Saul was trying to kill David. So these were literally life and death circumstances. These were no ordinary circumstances. So it was okay to make a vow in those instances. Or maybe you would think of uh, Hannah who promised to God, God, I am barren, but if you would just bless me with a child, I will give this child back to you and he'll serve you all the days of his life. I mean, she was grief-stricken and heartbroken over her barrenness. And in those circumstances, no ordinary circumstances, she made a vow to God. One more example is this. Abraham called his most trustworthy servant to him. And he said, here we are living in this pagan land of Canaan. And there's no good suitable options for my son to find a wife. And so I want you to go back to where I grew up. And I want you to find a God-fearing woman from among my family and bring her back to me. And he had that servant swear that he would. Again, no ordinary circumstances. It was only for special occasions. So an Old Testament Israelite would never vow before the Lord to meet someone for lunch. They would never say, I swear by the God of heaven that I will meet you at Red Robin at noon today. And if I fail to show up at that time, then may God strike me or even kill me. If I fail to keep my word, like, no, it wasn't for ordinary situations. It was only for special circumstances. Okay, now that we've looked at what the Old Testament teaches on making oaths, now let's switch gears and see what the New Testament teaches on this same topic. And friends, it should be pretty easy to follow along because guess what? The New Testament only teaches exactly 
what the Old Testament teaches. I realize it's redundant, but if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down again. The New Testament teaches, first and foremost, only make vows in God's name. Now, let me explain because some explaining is required. By the time of Jesus, the religious leaders of Israel had made a mockery of making oaths. And they had led the people through their bad example to do the same. Rabbinic teaching held that only oaths to the Lord were binding. In their thinking, God was only party to an oath if his name were invoked. All other oaths they taught could be uh, uh, and were intended to be violated without committing perjury. So they were doing their own version of what we do today. We say we're going to do something and then we go, I had my fingers crossed. They had their own version of that. Attempting to deceive others, many Jewish people would swear by heaven, by Jerusalem, by the temple, by the altar in the temple, by the veil in the temple, or by their own heads that they would do something. They would swear in anything other than the name of the Lord. And such evasive promising was intended to hide their lying hearts. So Jesus was born into that culture where people weren't keeping their word, where people were making promises, but they weren't keeping them. They were making oaths, but not in the name of the Lord as they had been instructed to do uh, in the Mosaic law. So Jesus comes along and what does he do? He just reiterates exactly the teaching of the Old Testament. Take a look, Matthew 5, 33 to 36. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. Now let's stop right there for one second. Do not swear at all. Jesus, what do you mean? Moses said, when you make a vow, and now here you're saying, do not make a vow at all. So we have to ask ourselves, Jesus, what do you mean by that? Do not, do, not, uh, do not swear at all. Well, friends, we have to keep reading to see what he means. So let's do that. Jesus says, do not swear at all. And here's what I mean by that. Either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. So friends, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, do not make an oath in a way that is forbidden in Scripture. When you vow, when you promise, when you make an oath, you're to do it in God's name. And here you guys are disobeying the clear teaching of Scripture. And when you make an oath, you're doing it by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or even by your own head. And that's not what God says to do. So is Jesus against the making of an oath? No. Is he against doing it in a way forbidden in Scripture? You better believe he is. God gave guidelines for how this is to be done, and he expected the people to follow. And when they didn't, it was sin. Now, friends, this becomes even more clear when we move to Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 22, where Jesus, is, again, is teaching on this same topic. Jesus says to the religious leaders, blind guides, what sorrow awaits you, meaning on judgment day. For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? 
And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind you are, Jesus says, for which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Jesus says, when you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. Friends, what Jesus is saying is this, swearing by anything in God's dominion brings him into the transaction. I mean, you're not even supposed to swear by anything other than God's name. But just since we're talking about it, when you swear by anything in God's dominion, you're bringing him into it. So you can't give your word and say, well, I didn't swear by God, so I'm fine in breaking my word. Jesus says, no, you're breaking your word and it's wrong. And God on judgment day will hold you accountable for living contrary to his word. But friends, all this to say, the New Testament teaches only what the Old Testament taught. Vows are to be made in God's name. Secondly, the New Testament teaches about making oaths. It teaches this, only make oaths on special occasions. Not only did the religious leaders of Jesus' day make oaths by something other than God's name, they also failed to limit their use of an oath to special occasions. I mean, they were just making oaths all the time and for every reason. And this is why Jesus instructed them in Matthew 5, 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Here, Jesus is laying down the rule for everyday routine conversation. This verse is literally, let your statement be yes if you mean yes, and no if you mean no. And statement here just means your word. Let what you say. If you mean yes, then go ahead and do it. If you mean no, then, then don't. But keep your word. Every normal word in the course of daily speech should be a truthful word. I don't know about you, but I've uh, spoken with salespeople before. And anytime they say to me, now, I'm going to be honest with you. Immediately, I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> In other words, if they say, you know, I'll tell you the truth. What they're saying is, normally I'm a liar, but lucky you, today I'm going to tell the truth. To which in my mind I respond, but you're a liar, so how can I trust you, you know? Or, or what about this? People who normally lie as a rule and, and, and lie as a normal way of life, when they finally decide to tell the truth one time, they, they, they say whatever they're saying, and then they go, I swear to God. And all that means is normally they are liars, but now they want you to, now, now what they're saying is true. Normally they don't tell the truth, but now they are. And so they prop up the, uh, the claim by saying, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God. Well, if you have to swear to God, <laughs> there's an issue. There's an issue. Friends, Christians don't go around swearing to the veracity of their claims. Christians are people of their word and let their yes be yes and their no be no. Amen? Amen. So we see that Jesus is teaching on making oaths. It doesn't subtract from or add to in any way, shape, or form 
the Old Testament teaching given by Moses. So friends, you see, they don't contradict each other. They're, they're not contrary to each other in any way. They perfectly complement one another. And what you see in the old is exactly what you see in the new and vice versa. They are one in the same. So friends, that's the teaching on oaths. And now I want to remind you of the context in which this teaching of Jesus was given. Jesus is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee teaching on the mountainside. He's giving his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount because of the location in which he was preaching. And Jesus is trying to tell the people that they need to become citizens in the eternal kingdom that God has appointed him to rule over forever. But the number one thing keeping them from becoming citizens in his kingdom was their failure to realize that they were sinners in need of a savior. And so Jesus sets out to give them six examples of their sinfulness, not, not so they can just feel bad about themselves, but so that they can realize they have need of a savior and so that they could call out to him for forgiveness of sins and be saved. And so over the last few weeks, we've just been covering example after example after example. The first example Jesus gave them of their sinfulness uh, related to murder. He says, if you have anger and hatred in your heart, you're guilty of, of murder before God. And then his second example of their sinfulness related to adultery. And he says, oh, you think it's only the external act that counts? No, if you have lust in your heart and in your mind, that counts as adultery in God's eyes. So you're guilty of that too. And then Jesus moves to his third example of their sinfulness. And he says, y'all are getting divorced for any and every reason, even for trivial reasons. You're not only getting divorced when there's some kind of grave, grave, serious offense. And so you're sinful before God on that account as well well. And that brings us to today where Jesus is giving the fourth example of the people's sinfulness. He says, in addition to murder and in addition to adultery and in addition to the sin of a groundless divorce, you've added to all those sins, the sins of not keeping your word. And again, Jesus points this out so that they would see their sinfulness and turn to him in faith to receive forgiveness of sins. So friends, that was them, but now I want to talk about us. The application of this teaching could not be more simple. If you're taking notes, Jesus is teaching us, be a person of your word. Can we say that out loud together? Be a person of your word. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 5.5, better not to have vowed in the first place than to make a vow and then not fulfill it. This is what Jesus is saying. Be a person of your word. Someone told me recently that our intelligence agencies uh, in relation to the war between Russia and Ukraine, our intelligence agencies are, are saying this, whatever Vladimir Putin tells us, we can just count on him not keeping his word. And they just approach everything he says in that way. Now, before we're too rough on him, I know some people like that. Everything they say, it's the opposite. They say one thing, I'll meet you here at this time, and they're, and they're late. They say, oh, I'll take care of that, and they don't. They say, I'll call you back, and, the, and then they don't. <laughs> Some people are like that. It used to be that someone could give their word, and that was as good as a legal contract. But as society has moved further and further Away from living according to biblical standards, legal contracts have replaced our word as our bond. So friends, let's talk for a few minutes about what it looks like to be a person 
of your word. I'm going to give you some examples. Here's the first. When you tell someone you're going to do something, do it. I remember a certain pastor used to always say this towards the end of the sermon, and I close with this, and then he would go on for 10 more minutes. And then after 10 minutes, he would say, now in conclusion, and then he would go on for five more minutes. And then after five minutes, he would say, now the last thing that I'm going to tell you is this. He just kept going on and on and on. God is my witness. One lady just couldn't take it anymore. And one week she stood up and she said, ah, shut up. (laughs) We got to be persons of our word. If we say we're going to do something, we got to do it. All right, being a person of your word, it looks like this. When you say to someone, I'll be there at this time, you should be there at that time. Now, here's something that will help you to be a person of your word. Instead of over-promising and under-delivering, aim to under-promise and over-deliver. So what that looks like, practically speaking, is this. Don't tell your spouse, I'll be home at 5.30, if you can only be home at 5.30 if all the stars align perfectly. I'll be home at 5.30 if there's no traffic. I'll be home at 5.30 if there's no road detours. I'll be home at 5.30 if nothing happens and I don't get a flat tire and I don't get pulled over for speeding and I don't, I mean, if you can only be home if all the universe aligns in just the right way, then don't say that. It's better to say, I'll be home at 5.45. Give yourself some margin. Your spouse will appreciate it so much if in saying you'll be home at 5.45, you show up early. There's no problem with that. But to say you'll be home at 5.30 and then to show up late, that's something that can get under someone's skin. So instead of over-promising and under-deliver, under-deliver and over-promise. That'll help you to be a person of your word. Being a person of your word means when you say to someone, I am so sorry to hear what you're going through, I will pray for you. Being a person of your word, you actually go ahead and pray for them. Now, if you are always forever forgetting to pray for the person that you said you would pray for, then when someone tells you about the tough time they're going through, Just ask, can I pray with you about this right now? And that way you don't have to give your word and then break it by accident or on purpose or whatever the case may be. Being a person of your word means you don't say to people, you know, it's so good running into you. I'm going to give you a call so we can get together sometime and have lunch or whatever. I know someone, I only see him once a year, once every other year. But for 10 years, every time we get together, he says, it's so good to see you. I've really enjoyed catching up. I'm going to call you so we can have lunch. Friends, we ain't never had lunch, ever. And I would call him on it, except that I don't really want to have lunch with him, so (laughs) I don't speak up. But if you say it, then do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Being a person of your word means you don't cancel your plans. Parents, have you, like me, ever committed to do something for your kids and then immediately regretted it? I have many times. But when I do that, I let the pain of going through with my commitment teach me to think things through a little better next time around. So if your kids say, hey, uh, can you take me to the park? And you're like, yeah. And then after saying, yeah, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm bone tired. What was I thinking? Go ahead and take them to the park anyway. And let the pain of going teach you to better think through what you commit to in the future. Being a person of your word, in other words, what I'm saying is this, being a person of your word means you keep your commitments even when it hurts. And I've learned to do this because of David's example in Psalm chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. David asks this, who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? And then David answers his own question. 
He says those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord and those who keep their promises even when it hurts. We are all so frustrated when a politician gets elected on the promises they've made. And then during their term, they fail to keep those promises. But friends, we don't want to be guilty of that same thing. So we keep our word even when it hurts. You know, it's interesting to me, the culture we live in, companies have learned how prone customers are to back out of deals. Hence the required deposit. Companies expect that we're going to go back on our word. And they require a deposit so that when we do, at least they have something instead of nothing. Likewise, both doctor's offices and airlines now double book appointments because they know that many people won't do what they said, which is show up for their appointment. So they double book. And when both people's, both parties show up, someone has to wait forever. And I'm telling you, it's always me. It's always me. I have to wait forever. It's so irritating. But as frustrating as it is, friends, this happens because we live in a culture where we don't value keeping our word. It's precisely because so many people's word means so very little that in court we are required now to place our hand on the Bible and then answer this question. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Now, a little side note, if you're a believer and you're ever asked to do this, it's no problem. Vows are to be made in God's name, and you're vowing before God to tell the truth. And vows are only to be made on special occasions. And if you're in court having to place your hand on the Bible to swear to tell the truth, that is no ordinary circumstance. That's special circumstance, so we should never have any qualms about doing so. Friends, I could go on forever and forever and forever because there's so much to say on this topic and there's so many different examples we could give of what it looks like, practically speaking, to be a person whose yes is yes and whose no is no. But I think I've gone on long enough to establish that like Jesus's audience, we too fall short in this area on keeping our word. Now, friends, I want to compare and contrast God with us. We are so prone to give our word and then go back on it. But all God's promises are yes and amen. God's word can be trusted. And all throughout the Bible, we see God making promises. I'll give you one example from the Old Testament. In Genesis 12, after mankind had sinned against God and, and brought the curse of sin into the world, God said, I could leave you all eternally damned, but I love you. And so I'm going to provide a savior for you. And he turns to a man named Abram and he says, Abram, uh, here's how I'm going to rescue the whole world from my just penalty for when people sin against me. He says, Abram, I'm going to turn you, one person, into a great big nation. And he says, Abraham, after I, I turn you into a great people group, I'm going to give that people group uh, a great big chunk of land for them to live in. And then he says, Abram, once I've done that, one day in the future, from the people group and from the land, I'm going to raise up a savior so that you don't have to personally experience my just punishment against sin, which is death. And God made these three promises to Abraham. 
And all we read about in the Old Testament is how God turned Abraham into a great big nation and how God gave that great big nation a great big chunk of land. Then we move into the New Testament and it begins with four different accounts called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. The New Testament begins with four different accounts of how God fulfilled the third promise he made that one day from the nation and out of the land, he would bring forth a savior. That's all the gospels cover. It's the story of Jesus, how God sent a savior into the world. So friends, God keeps his promises. That's what we learn from the Old Testament. But did you know this? When we move on into the New Testament, there are other promises of God. And today I want to draw your attention to just one of those. Now, it's the Apostle Paul who uh, said what I'm about to read to you. But we know that ultimately God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the biblical writers to write what they wrote. So ultimately, the promise is from God. Take a look at Romans 6.23, where God says through the Apostle Paul that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, there's really two promises here. The first is this. God promises that apart from Jesus Christ's forgiveness of sins, we will pay the penalty for sin, which is death. In other words, God promises if you don't get your sins forgiven by Jesus, you will pay the penalty of sin. You will die physically and one day you will suffer eternally because that's God's just punishment for transgressors of his law. So man, we read that first promise and we're like, oh boy, this is, this is bad news. Uh, I'm, I'm, this, this is not good because I'm a sinner. This is, this is not a good promise because I'm a sinner. I mean, Jesus said, you got anger and hatred in your heart. You're guilty of murder. Uh, you got lust in, in your heart and in your mind. You're guilty of adultery. If you've had a groundless divorce, you're guilty of sin. And, and now Jesus has said, and if you fail to keep your word, you have just added to all your other sins, the sins of breaking your oath. Man, I'm, I'm in trouble. Because God's promised that all sin will be punished and I am a sinner. If I know one thing in this world, it's that I am a sinner. And so this kind of leaves us uh, saying in our minds, well, what do we do? And that leads to the second promise found in the verse. God promises that all sin will be punished. The wages of sin is death. But right there in the same verse is a second promise. Though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Though we deserve to die physically and suffer eternally for our sins, God has sent a substitute into the world to take that punishment upon himself. Friends, unlike the promises of man, which are so readily broken, uh, we can take this promise of God to the bank because God has a track record of always keeping his word. One of the many things I love about my mom is that her word is inviolable. I mean, when she says it, it's as good as done. Well, how much more so is God's word inviolable? And friends, if you'll just call out to Jesus today and ask him for forgiveness of sins so that you personally don't have to take God's wrath against sin upon yourself in hell for all eternity, if you will do that and call out to him for forgiveness, your forgiveness is as good as done because God always keeps his word. We might not, but God does. Always. 
And so today, my invitation to everyone tuned in online, to everyone out in the foyer, to people watching on screens throughout the building, and to everyone here in the auditorium, my invitation is this. Call out to God and ask him to forgive you of your sins, and he'll do it. It'll be as good as done. Why leave here with the burden of not knowing where you're going to go for all eternity? Why not call out to God and just settle the matter today? If you'd like to do that, I'm going to invite you to join us in our closing prayer. No pressure on anyone, but if you'd like to, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And let's just go to God in prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this teaching today on oaths. I've realized, God, that I have more in common with the nation of Israel than I originally thought. I, too, break my word. I, too, say yes. But practically speaking, my answer is no. Sometimes I say no, and practically speaking, my answer is yes. Sometimes I make a promise and fail to keep it. And God, I've always viewed that as the spiritual equivalent of jaywalking, but today I've learned that, no, 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 it's much more than that. You take it seriously, it's sin. And God, I realize that all sin is a violation of your law, and I've learned today that the wages of sin is death. God, I don't want to, though, be punished for my sins. I deserve it, but God, that's not what I want, especially in light of the reality that you have sent Jesus to be my substitute. In other words, God, thank you for sending Jesus to take the punishment that my sins deserve upon himself so that I could go free. God, I'm so grateful. I don't understand such extravagant love, but God, I just accept it and I give you thanks for it. So God, I'm asking today, would you just forgive me of my sins? Because God, I want it to be as good as done that my sins will never be brought up against me on judgment day. God, grant to me eternal life, I pray. And I ask, Lord, not because I, I deserve it, not because I'm worthy of it, but because in obedience to your word, I'm placing my faith and trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins. God, I thank you for the gift of eternal life that's mine through faith in Christ. I give you praise. Now, God, between now and the day where I'll live forever as a citizen in the eternal kingdom that you've appointed Christ to rule over, between now and then, God, help me to be a person of my word. May my yes be yes. May my no be no. Help me, I pray. And it's in the name of Jesus I ask. Amen. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you and we hope to see you again soon.